Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 127. We're going to be reviewing the first half of the season prior to the World Cup. With us today is the full crew, but not officially just yet. Pepper is just going to be joining a little bit late, but he doesn't know that. Me and Matt just wanted to start without him. So, Matt, what's going on? Are you excited for the World Cup? I'm doing well. Just got back from vacation. So, yeah, it was a nice little breakup. It'd been uh, sort of the uh, football calendar here for um, the, the transition over from club football to the World Cup, which, of course, I'm wearing an Italy jacket, which is ironic here as we're talking about the World Cup here. Uh, as uh, as our man Pepperisha pops in to talk about Saliba, I'm sure. But uh, no, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm excited for it. It's just, it's just a weird timing for it. Normally, I'm used to watching World Cups like in the summer when the football is not on and it's like a nice way to kind of get back in the swing of things. So having it you know, in the middle of the season is kind of weird, but it'll grow on me. I'm, I'm excited to watch some uh, some good, good football. What did I tell you, man? We start the episode 30 seconds saying it was Barisha's going to show up and lo and behold, Pet's here. Pet, what's going on? You know, do you know what this, this is just a review of the first half of the season, mind you. So we're not doing World Cup stuff exactly just yet. So <laughs> for you, because I've done very little research. And to be honest with you, this World Cup's totally caught me off guard. It's come way quicker than I could have anticipated. And <laughs> I, I'm not ready for it. I feel like until those first national anthems hit, it's not going to really feel well. I also feel like every time I see on Twitter something about like fake paid fans or like you know, bad hotel rooms mm-hmm. or whatever. It just like. Well, have you have you seen have you seen the latest bribery story? Uh, the or Qatar no? one nil thing. The no, the Qatar and Ecuadorian players. And listen, nothing would shock 7. me. Seven point four million dollars to lose the opener was offered. It's, yeah, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Um, five Qataris and Ecuador insiders confirmed the news. Apparently, so London-based political analyst Amjad Ta said this. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, that's a privacy. Well. There you go, more bribery in the World Cup. So anyways, this is perfect then. I wanted to start off with the Premier League because I think it's been a whirlwind of a first, you know, whatever, 13, 14 matches in that league. A lot of surprises and some not that surprising depending on how how often you watch the league, I would say. So Pet, you guys are in first. You're playing unbelievable football. Um, You're on pace to what would be, you know, almost guaranteed winners almost they're on a hundred point pace at the moment yeah exactly and and the only other club that failed to win the premier league with the amount of points that you guys have had through these games was newcastle which was one of the more Mm. epic collapses in league history in the 90s um you still are dealing with manchester city and erling holland that's on pace for like 40 something (laughs) goals and yet arsenal are still in first and you could even argue jesus is you know maybe you expected more goals in this but he's played well throughout it um, and the most important part, I think, too, limited injuries in that first half, because that, again, I think depth, we've talked about this would have been one of the bigger issues. But I know you loved your squad going into the season, but are you still surprised? You still have to be. Yeah, I mean, we we had, I think all of us had Arsenal down third or fourth. I think Martina, you and I were a bit more bullish. Uh, Matt had us in fourth, which I think was still very decent. I think people mm-hmm. need to remember that Bucky's had Arsenal either fifth or sixth behind Man United or behind Spurs slash Chelsea um, mm-hmm. in fifth or sixth. So for them to be in first is a is a really big surprise to everyone. But to be honest with you, and maybe this is like revisionism, but if you look at like the entire league, it's going through a bit of a transition. So Liverpool lost their kind of, one of their legendary mm-hmm. attackers 
inside Omane and replaced him with a project player. That's what Darwin Nunes is. Maybe a player that will mm-hmm. score 20 goals this season, but doesn't have the kind of technical security, uh, nor the kind of pressing, nor the link-up play that, that Mane possesses, nor the, nor the creative skill set either. They've also been a bit unlucky with injuries with Jota, with Thiago. I mean, Fabinho doesn't look the same player. Henson doesn't look the same player. Um, Trent seems to have like the best right back in the world season, then the worst right back in the world season, then the best, and then this season's the worst. Um, Van Dijk has had to have three different centre back partners this season. They keep rotating. Allison has pretty much been their only like standout player. And if you look at City as well, they've kind of had to um, lose Sterling and Jesus, who have been kind of pillars of that team over the last five years, and replace them with one of the hottest prospects in world football in the attacking sense in Julian Alvarez and then the best striker in the world in Erling Haaland, right? And now you give up a bit of control by having Haaland in your team, but what he does is allow you to win games in like moments, right? Uh, so I think that trade-off works, but again, they're, they're still a team in slight transition, although they, they do tend to start seasons quite slowly. And then if you look at Chelsea... We were all quite bearish on, on them in terms of kind of the makeup of the squad, like who they brought in. We thought some of the players they brought in had become better, but maybe the transfer business, even with 300 million, was kind of leaving them on par, like Kilibali Rudiger, same kind of level of player, uh, bringing Kukurea for 60 million, gives them a bit more depth there, but still you've got Azpilicueta on the other side. Um, Tiago Silva's not getting any younger. There's the goalkeeper issue. We talked about how badly they needed midfield. We said how weird assigning Aubameyang was and so on and so forth. And then Spurs, again, I think are probably the next most stable team after Arsenal. I know that's weird to say, but they have a coach who's been there over a year now. Uh, He's got to bring in some of his players. And now I think that's where Spurs' downfall has been. Some of those players, Richarlison hasn't scored a league goal. Perisic has been hot and cold and looks his age at this point in time in the Premier League. Um, Bissouma's taken a long time to acclimatise. And then also Spurs look better in a 3-4-3, not 3-5-2. So where does that leave a £35 million midfielder? And, um, you know, Clement Longley looks like a player that they definitely shouldn't sign permanently at the end of the, the season. So I think it's been a, a, a league in transition. Arsenal have benefited a lot from having that, you know, from not being able, not having to rotate too many players. But even though they haven't had that many injury issues, like their second biggest signing of the season in Zinchenko has only what played six games. The game they lost at Old Trafford, Thomas Partey was injured. Uh, they have had some injury worries with uh, Tomiyasu recently. Um, we've had Odegaard miss a game but yeah the, the squad still needs a bit of strengthening for Arsenal to go the distance I feel it, it feels eerily similar to um, Milan's league triumph last season though I must say like uh, but kind of inverse in the sense that Milan were kind of like a snowball getting better towards the end of the season Arsenal have started mm-hmm. at the top of the hill yeah. and hopefully they can kind of ma- maintain that momentum St. Angelo I think Pat did a, a really good job of kind of summarizing where my thoughts are as far as the top four is concerning the Premier League and, and the powerhouses. I mean, I can't really add much more to Chelsea other than the fact that I think we kind of all foresaw this happening. Um, a lot of moving parts, uh, new coach, had some good results, some not so good results. I know Chelsea did good in the um, Champions League. They topped the group. Uh, maybe that was more of an indication of, you know, maybe Milan having some injuries, not playing good football in those two fixtures. 
because they didn't really look like commanding of the group. They 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 were the better team and the best team. And I'm not saying they don't deserve to be top of the group, but I think overall, like if you had them in a different group, maybe they're squeaking into the second spot. Um, but by just by, by virtue of the fact that they really haven't been able to pick up any sort of consistent form. And I got to give a tip of the cap to Arsenal. I know I picked City to, I think, win the league, but uh, it's it's been impressive to see what Arsenal has done, especially the backing and, and the consistent football from Mikel Arteta and the guys. You know, they've been summer to summer really adding pieces. Um, and it's been one of those trust the process type projects I've seen with this Arsenal team where, you know, maybe people will say, we got to get rid of Arteta, we got to do this, we got to do that. It's hard when you're a big club to have patience and to spend money and to really back your manager when you're not maybe getting into the top four or competing for titles like Arsenal should. But now they're reaping the benefits and the fruit of all their hard work and the, the, the process and the, and the patience they've had in that process through the first half or first portion of this season. I don't know. It's not technically a halfway point of the season, but um, yeah, so just a quick tip of the cap to Arsenal. But I really wanted to touch base um, and talk more so about what Manchester United have done or lack thereof. Oh, forgot about uh, them. <laughs> forgot about another team too, but go for it. We all picked Manchester United, I think, to be in, in on the outside looking in. Um, they've been in free fall for a while now, and it may not seem like that because sometimes the results can really sort of disguise where they're currently at with the project, right? They did get, you know, Sacho a couple, a couple summers ago. They, they, they have spent, they got Rafael Varane. They, like, they do spend maybe ir- like irrationally or irresponsibly on areas where maybe they can go elsewhere with the money. But you're really starting to see this year evident in everything Ronaldo has said in his interview, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, mm-hmm. in bits and pieces throughout this podcast. But where they're at doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and it's, it's really boils down to the fact that, you know, look, when, when you have big personalities, underperforming players, players that, you know, quite clearly don't fit what they're trying to do going forward, you're going to have these sort of up and down Jekyll and Hyde type performances and spells throughout a season. I will say this though. I think Ayrton Hogg has had moments recently where, uh, you know, I think they're sort of as a, as Manchester United as a club have kind of sort of drawn a line in the sand saying, Hey, look, Ronaldo is not fitting. We, we we understand where his his legacy is. We understand how important he can be as far as scoring goals are. And I know, Pat, you're a big believer in, you know, yeah, but he scores goals. That's the hardest thing to do in the sport. But I think you when you remove him from the equation and maybe he, the, guy, and the guys on the field that don't provide the same goal-scoring threat, but they feel like they're playing more as a team, more together, more harmonious-type football. And I think we've started to see that recently where, you know, it's kind of an all-in mentality. Like, all right, Ronaldo aside, we're still... This is Manchester United with or without him. If he wants to be a part of it, great. We'll find a spot for him. We'll see what we can do. I think that relationship is fractured. That's not going to happen. You're not going to see him probably play for Manchester United um, the rest of the season. I do think he'll move in January. However that happens, we'll, we'll wait and see. Chelsea. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's, been a, it's been a very rocky, miserable first half for, um, for Manchester United. And I think, you know... The Premier League second half of the season should be very interesting to see where those sort of four or five and six teams mm-hmm. uh, go through because I'm not really sold on Chelsea, as I mentioned. Manchester United are still going through their their issues. And Spurs, right? Like you haven't tied down Conte. What's gonna go? What's gonna happen there? He is the type of manager that might just kick a door down and saying, I'm leaving. They terminate his contract and now they have to go find a coach quickly. It it could happen. 
Yeah, I mean, just to add to the United thing, I think that they do have 26 points after 14 games. They're, they're one game back from Spurs and Newcastle above them. Uh, they played the same amount as City and Arsenal yeah. and, and, and Chelsea. I do think that you are correct in saying it's not... I, I don't think it's been a disaster. I, what I will say is the underlying stats don't look great for Man United. Like, they should be on a few points lower than they actually are looking at all the underlying stats. What I will say about the Ronaldo thing is like, he did come in a window with Varane and Sancho. I do think maybe the question now is kind of like, what is the last player that's gone to Man United and actually thrived? Bruno Fernandes? Probably. Like it it probably is, right? Like, if we look at Paul Pogba's time there, not great. You know, Varane's not had a good season so far there. You know, players... Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Harry Maguire. Yeah, like, I mean, Harry Maguire had a, a great first season under Ole and there's been, you know, downhill ever since. I do think that Ronaldo or no Ronaldo from January, I think this United team still has a bunch of holes. Mm-hmm. I think they have a young manager who has never managed in the Premier League uh, before and never managed in a big league before. And is also, I I personally see, and I know Martina, we've had some disagreements over this. Mm-hmm. I think he might lack some of the people skills to become like a really top tier manager. And I hope I'm proven wrong there because I think he seems like a sure. great guy. But when you're de- when you're at a big club and you're dealing with these big personalities, I think that kind of introverted Ralph Ragnick, Eric Ten Hag personality maybe doesn't play in as well as like the the kind of more overt dictator-like uh, or big personality like Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, whereby you have to kind of control these personalities and get them hung, humming on the same hymn sheet. I do think, you know, United is still going to have a lot of holes there. Ronaldo leaves. Rashford's got less than 12 months left on his contract. I think Martial's the same. Fred's the same. Uh, they've just given Bruno Fernandes a big 350k a week deal. That means you're committed to him. He's going to be your <laughs> captain. Casemiro has just come in on an 80 million uh, transfer with 300k a week. You know, are you going to stick by Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, all these players, like David De Gea, all these players where their contracts are running out? I, I kind of feel it's like that Arsenal situation where he's going to try and churn all yeah. these guys out. I think the issue you've got at United is that the kind of structure of the club from an exec perspective, from a sporting director perspective, just isn't as good as some of these other clubs to do a rebuild. And that's where I think they might, they might fall down beyond this season. No, of course not, because their their whole philosophy is what's the big name? We have the money to do it. If we want to go do it, we will pay up for it. And and there's players that are still attracted to the United name. And now that I think about it, probably the only player that has left, come back, and actually done well there is Diogo Dello. And I don't see any other player that's really performed at that level. I think the Eric Ten Hag thing, I get your point with that. I just also think at the same time for any manager that realizes the situation with Ronaldo is this is that there isn't going to be a tougher player in football history to manage in a dressing room. This version of him at this age where he's declining but still getting paid that money, where he was still producing last season, and you have to sit there and tell him where, let's let's be honest, if you if you saw that interview, he doesn't know anybody that isn't a household name in football. He never heard of Ralph Ragnick, right? He doesn't respect Eric Ten Hag. He literally said that verbatim. So that alone... Whatever, if, if they're both wrong in that scenario, whatever, we don't know what happened behind closed doors. He's saying he felt betrayed. That's a whole different thing. I think it's easier that you have to, it's a culture issue with Manchester United. It's not only been what's happened on the pitch, it's everything. Hmm. And that's why they're a disaster because Sir Alex was everything about them because he, he was, he was the one from 
picking the players that were coming in in the transfer, and he still has a say in this. I still don't understand how this is possible. And then on top of it, he's managing day-to-day. So you not only have one of the three greatest managers of all time taking care of that, he's also bringing in what players. There was always that structure and order that he was talking about. Now that's out the window. You don't have a top director in there. Oh my God, why am I drawing a... Is it is it Woodward? Why am I drawing a blank on the director? With, with the AAF. Yeah. It was Wood, it's Ed Woodward, right? And, and, and you see him where he was supposed to leave, but he never officially left, right? So he's still kind of lingering around. He said he never met the Glazers. And he's saying he loves Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's by far the worst manager of the of the three that we've that we've seen. Um, and then and then we're kind of just sitting there saying, "What's next?" Dean Henderson isn't it at goalkeeper? The center back situation, Lissandro Martinez is he gonna is he that type of player that's good enough to win Manchester United the Champions League? No, I don't think so. Is are there other fullbacks on this squad that can do the same? What is their midfield? This midfield's abysmal. They're going to have to continue to overpay for players. And the standard is going to still be at the same time. This is Manchester United. You need to start competing for titles. And that's what's going to be coming from the fans. Whether, you know, they should be patient or not is a totally different story because now we're looking at 10 years plus of them winning the title. And Pat and Matt, this is going to be 15 plus years. Is Man United going to turn it around within the next two to three years to win the title on top of the way these other clubs are ran? No way. I think the one thing, too, that you look at, right? I think that the, the, the whole shift in the landscape of the Premier League, I mean, you have to look at this, right? Like from when Ronaldo was there previously, the first stint was sold, I think, in 2009 to now. Like there were still like people saying, you know, there's this wrong or is that wrong? Like the, the writing was on the wall at that, in those moments, right? Like they started to be like, even when, when Milan, for example, when they sold Kaká and they had a couple other decent years to follow, they won the Scudetto. There was still like that feeling where it's like, we're in it for a rough go coming. It's coming. Like eventually it's coming. And I think now, well, not even now, it's been, it's been years for Manchester United, but because of how difficult the league has become, how competitive it's become with teams like Newcastle really making, you know, serious climbs and really have the, having the ambition to be a team that makes European competitions. Those years of Manchester United being able to just squeak in on the back of where Manchester United, we can, we can find a way into the top four. They're gone. They're gone because City, much more well-oiled. Liverpool, I know that Fenway Sports Group has, has reportedly put them on the market. I don't know if it's official official, but I saw that as, as news um, that they're looking to sell. Uh, Chelsea, they got new ownership. I know they're having a difficult year. Spurs, same thing. So like, there's much more competition for the spots that Manchester United are Don't Newcastle now as well. Yeah, and it's just, you, you look at like the, from, from the, the transfer policy, there's like really no direction just kind of grasping at guys, seeing which guys can work, throwing cash at the problem and hoping it fits. You have to get back to basics. And what I mean by basics is getting back to like, what's, what is the Manchester United way, right? Like Arsenal, there's an Arsenal way. There's every club has that club ethos, that sort of like mission statement where you look at like, who are, who is Arsenal as a club? Like, what do we, what, what is our, what is our goal here? What do we do with the guys that we go out on the market to get and and the coaches we hire and the personnel? They don't have to Martino's point. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to like project how quickly Manchester United can turn this around. Is Eric Tom not going to be a guy that's there long term? He seems like the type of personality where if he doesn't get the right thing he wants on the market, he might say, well, I'm, I'm leaving. He might go back to Ajax. Who, who knows? So there's a lot of uncertainty in Manchester United. The results may cloud maybe what is bad or mm-hmm. all that is bad about Manchester United at the moment. But it's pretty clear, uh, evident to me 
that it's going to get probably a little bit more worse than before it gets gets good again for Manchester United. Class of 92 is I'm walking through that door, as Rick Pitino yeah. would say. So I know Pet does not understand that reference at all. So, so yeah. And then Newcastle really quick before we move on to other leagues. Um, we talked about it. Eddie Howe, or I think he's been the best appointment the past 24 months in the Premier League. I just, I think this is, this right here is just how many times do we see clubs that get overtaken by new ownership and it takes years for them to start thriving? This guy basically hit the ground running and we were sitting here around this time last year looking at their December schedule where they looked like they were facing relegation in the face. And then they end up making a comeback where they creep back into the top half of the table. And now they're off to a terrific start where, yeah, they did spend a good amount during the summer, but that was kind of like they were Premier League team spending. Not that they were backed by the Saudi state sort of spending that some people were expecting. I mean, they did spend $100 million in, the, in the January before, right, as well, so... Of course, of course they did. Of course they did. But they're still a massive, like, it's still, it's still a Premier League side. So they're going to have them. I don't think they've been reckless. Is no, no, opinion. no, not at all. They haven't, they not haven't, they haven't been insane where I think United has been more reckless. They spend that on one player. Mm. So Newcastle, what are our thoughts on top four for them? Because I think they have a better shot at top four than United, Chelsea. I won't say Liverpool just yet because I don't doubt them but they do need to get another midfielder come January. I think Newcastle have as good of a shot to get that fourth spot in the top four as any team. In this I think the seven teams going for top four, and presumably at this point, Arsenal and City aren't. There are basically going to be five remaining teams for two spots. I think that turns into Newcastle, Spurs and Liverpool mm-hmm. in the second half of the season. The reason being, I, I just still don't think Man United have the firepower. I think Chelsea have just got too much to work out. Maybe they'll spend in January again, but I, I just don't think it'll be enough to get them over that line. I do think that someone could make a late run because it's going to be a lower threshold point-wise to get fourth this season as it was last season. But I do I do truly think that it is going to be between Newcastle, Spurs and Liverpool um, for those remaining two spots. And, and I'll kind of mm. detail why. And you know what? Like Newcastle aren't that f- far off first, so you never know, right? Something crazy could happen, but... They don't have European football. Mm-hmm. They've not had Ishak or St. Maximum for, for a very decent chunk of this season. We know they're going to spend in January. They almost bought James Madison in the summer. If they get another, you know, winger type player and a creative central midfielder player as well in January, I wouldn't be shocked if they went and got like James Madison and maybe Mudrick, the guy that's linked to Arsenal something like that, mm-hmm. or a Moussa Diaby or something like that. And suddenly you're looking at a squad that, you know, is it any worse than Chelsea or Spurs's? And they don't have European football and they might have a better coach than both those two teams. Like, I, I think it's possible, right, that Newcastle come third or fourth. And I wouldn't bat an eyelid because they've been really good. All the underlying stats as well show that they are a very good team. They're not like joking around. I think They've got yeah. 30 points. Their expected points is like 27. So they're not like crazily overperforming yeah. or something like that. This is a team that's really good getting good results and playing really good football on the pitch as well. Bruno Gomeris is the best midfielder out of any of those teams that you listed probably. Out of the teams that are kind of on the outside. Is he better than any midfielder on Spurs? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's better than any midfielder on Spurs. Um, 
Chelsea, Chelsea for sure. sure. I mean, Liverpool. I'd say Thiago is like definitely in that, yeah, in that caliber. Uh, and Fabinho, I guess. If he was healthy <laughs> I mean, enough. I don't think he's been good for the last twenty-four months. But you know, I and I guess Casemiro okay. as well. We can't. You know, we can say it's a bad signing, and eighty million and three hundred k yeah. a week is bad. I think objectively that is a bad signing, even if he's amazing. But he is still yeah. a five-time UCL winner who's going to start at the World Cup and is mm-hmm. still one of the best in his position. Yeah. I think he's up there. I think overall, I'd say Bruno G is definitely a, a top five, top ten midfielder in the league. Easy. Like, I can hang my head on that yeah. with no with no issue whatsoever. Yeah. Right, do we have any other thoughts on the Premier League? I know you had a funny comment in the WhatsApp. <laughs> well, I was going to say, we haven't really <laughs> talked about football at all. And I was going to ask you guys, like, if you were going to name, like, the top midfielder, top forward, top defender, who would it be for this season so far? Matt, do you want to go first? Hey, you guys are putting me on the spot here. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, attacker, right? if we're just kind of breaking out the attacker, midfield defender, goalie, I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, it would mm-hmm. have to be Holland as the attacker. I think it doesn't really you know, require much explanation there. He's just been electric. He's on pace to shatter this goal scoring record. And, you know, he's doing it in such a way that's so commanding, right? I think people looked at, you know, the signing and they're like, you know, there was even that one sound bite. They're like saying that, you know, I think he's going to score 14 to 15 goals. And then someone in the, on the panel, Pat, you may have seen this too, Martino as well, where mm-hmm. everyone was like, no, he's going to absolutely destroy it in the Premier League. And I think we see it. This is no jab at, you know, Pat or anyone that's Premier League fan, but there's mm-hmm. sort of this Premier League arrogance where they think, oh, it's so hard that good players that come to the league, they're going to struggle by default. Mm-hmm. It's just like, no, early Holland's, like, he's just that good. He's going to score goals everywhere. Yeah. Like, that's just how he is. So he's definitely the attacker so far. Midfielder, they've got to give it to Kevin De Bruyne. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think that, you know, the way he makes that, that, that team tick, everything that re- revolves around him, he's, he's already a Manchester City legend. He's furthering his legacy. And I think, you know, watching him at the World Cup should be interesting as well, because I know this is a very pivotal moment for this Belgium group, right? The Eden Hazards and Carrascos and all those guys that they have with this team, hoping they could do something. Defender, you know where I'm going, there's Pat Saliba. <laughs> this is uh, why he asked us, by the way. You know this. Just to hear us say, just to hear us say this. I've never been an Arsenal hater. I've never been a Saliba hater. Um, I always found it interesting yeah. when Saliba was like loosely linked to Milan, like Milan were, were like looking to get him on loan or something. And I'm like, there's no way this is happening. At least I'm not Pets Watch. Like, <laughs> something to prevent this transfer from happening. And then goalie, I would probably have to go with, um, I'll give it to Allison. I think to, for all the reasons that you just mentioned there, you know, Liverpool has had a little bit of a, not get cut chaotic part of the first part of the season. But I think, you know, if you're going to pinpoint any specific player in that Liverpool side that's been consistent with, with continued good performances and has kept them in games, maybe otherwise where they shouldn't be in, I think it's got to go Allison. Mine would be absolutely identical, by the way. But I'd, I'd love to shout out a few players that aren't in there. I think yeah. Jesus has been really great. Uh, apart from the goals and the assists, I think... Uh, well, Arsenal. I, I think a lot of the Arsenal side has been great. I think um, Sven Botman and um, Kieran Trippier at, at Newcastle have been both really good. I know Miguel Almiron. Oh, Miguel Almiron, Roberto's of course. I know, I know you guys are, are kind of gutted that you, you didn't get the Botman deal over the line, um, but we can see why he was so so hardly chased by, um, by Newcastle. Yeah, I think Almiron's been great. I think... Um, mm. I'm trying to think, I think Bernardo Silva's been pretty good as well, like quietly. And I think Jao Cancelo was His last really good in the first half of this first half of the season. He's been less good over the last few games, but he was super, super good. So 
yeah, and then obviously Bruno Gimaraes, we've already mentioned, um, has been outstanding. And even Tony as well, I think, uh, probably needs a shout out, although I know he's in the papers right now for a different reason, betting. <laughs> 232 mm-hmm. times over the last four years. He's just like he, me. Fucking like, he accepted my sign. <laughs> he accepted the sign up link from the athletic that we had. Um, Robert MG. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Moises Saicedo at Brighton as well. Like, huge shout out to mm-hmm. him. I'm trying to think of some, you know, um, I think Andreas Pereira at Fulham as well as, um, uh, Jao Palinha. Tim Ream at Fulham. Uh, yeah. They do love him at Fulham. Uh, Jao Palinha, the, the holding midfielder at Fulham has been really, Fulham been really good. And, uh, obviously Mitrovic has been amazing. And actually last one, James Madison, um, had a really good pl- uh, season with Leicester. So apart from yeah, that, your favorite, probably we've probably, uh, uh, he's not my favorite. I've said, uh, uh, no, I know, like a I James know. Madison hater. I've never been a James Madison hater. The only time there was like a dispute was when we signed Odegaard permanently. And I said, Odegaard is better than Madison. And I was like, Odegaard is definitely a better signing than Madison for half the price. And everyone was like, no way. Madison shoots all the time. It scores all the time. And I was like, dude, like <laughs> just chill out. Like, I, w- I will say James Madison's, uh, if he was ever on MTV Cribs, it would be a lot more interesting <laughs> than I'm sure Mark take, Nordegaard's yeah, place. Yeah. He's got a, yeah, he's got a, he's got a great place, great collection of stuff. Okay. So the show was supposed to be 30 minutes for all the leagues. So 30 minutes on the Premier League. So I could keep continuing. You guys want, um, game. what league has caught your eye? To be honest with you, it's, I don't even think this is a biased thing for myself or Matt. The, the most entertaining league, you know, even if you were to say Premier League, right? It's got to be Serie A. Mm. I, don't, I don't think there's anything been better than this. And even how they've done in Europe has been pretty, pretty good as well. I think they had a solid job in the Champions League. So I think we've all, I, I know Matt's a little bit more hesitant to say it because he likes to see things play out. And that's, he's totally right and fair for this. But Pet, you and I are just kind of on the wagon of like, we'd be floored if Napoli don't win this title. I, I really would be. I don't, I don't think there's kind of any excuse unless their whole team just gets injured because you're eight points clear going. And, and this is the funny thing too, because you hear Maldini and, and the directors at Milan say, Hey, we're on pace of what we were last year. It's like, yeah, but Napoli isn't. They're on a far greater pace than they've been. And they've replaced players that were icons at the club, you could say. And they've done it easily. They've done it so quickly that I, for one, was one of the people that said, yeah, this is probably going to take them a while for this to assimilate within the squad, within the new league, younger players, players that are kind of more of the unknown. Kim and Jay was, was out in uh, Turkey, obviously. Kavara's all the way in Georgia playing for that league. So that's impossible to gauge. Kavara was in Russia though, right? I thought he was playing in the Georgian league. No, no, no. He was in Russia. I thought he had a leave to go play in Georgia. Ruben Zan in R- Russia. Okay. Well, either way, it's just north of it. And, and, and the point is this. You didn't know what you were getting for 10 million euros. And you sure as hell didn't expect one of the five best players in Europe this season. That's for sure. I, I think he's definitely in that conversation. And now we're kind of looking at it like, okay, Juve have creeped up. I'm not really going to boast about what they've done. They have the most expensive league in this, uh, the most expensive team in the league, they're the most expensive manager in the league. And, and yet they're still floundering like 10 points off of the leaders. And, and they won matches against sides that are, not even much to boast about. They face Milan. They got destroyed. They didn't even look that good. Of all the teams in that top five or six or seven, Juventus mm-hmm. are outperforming like all their underlying stats by a crazy amount. I think 
it's something like they should have conceded 10 more goals than they currently have or something like that. It's crazy. So I think there's probably some regression to the means come from them. Uh, you know, maybe some Allegri terrorist ball going on there. Um, I, I think just on Napoli, like the crazy thing is, Victor Osserman's actually underperformed his expected goals this season. <laughs> so, like, he's an inconsistent finisher. He's an inconsistent finisher. He's a young, he's a young finisher, but he's basically chugging mm-hmm. on at like one goal or and assists, like one goal mm-hmm. contribution per game per ninety in on the underlyings, mm-hmm. and he's doing that in his actual output as well. So, I, I kind of like scarily enough. I don't think this Napoli team feel like that they're at the peak of their powers yet. Um, like they've played really, really well in a lot of games, but I've watched a ton of their games and been like, there seems like there could be another gear here. And maybe this is a bit of Spalletti ball when he goes two or three up and he likes to try and assert a lot of control onto the game. But there does seem to feel like there might be another lever here for, for Napoli. Now, I, I think maybe their downfall will be a potential lack of business in January. Like, what did Milan, Juventus, and Inter do in the window? Which which is largely unknown. Yeah, which is because largely unknown. like Inter, 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 Inter's like their best move that they're going to do this January is just going to be to resign Scrinio, and yeah. extend Screenyard. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. And there's already been rumors of selling Gosens, which is insane. And then Juve, listen, they find money somehow. They always do. And Milan, I, I'm not even Matt. You could tell me this. I'm not convinced they're spending money. Why? Like where? Like what? What? What's going to happen? Are we, what are we expecting? And what do we need to also catch up to them? We're going to need a, a, a an expensive striker, but they're going to say Slatan's coming in, and he's going to be helping out that for the rest of the season, which shouldn't be the case. You mm-hmm. have to go out and and spend more. They have to eventually start acting like the club that they want to build towards. Because it's nice to have all these nice savvy market uh, deals on the market, but this is this is not enough. It's sh- it's shown. Is there a striker on the market though that you guys would say that Milan could go out and get in January? No. That's realistic. Jonathan David is the only but one. It, not again, January. Not realistic, right? Like post World Cup, Lille never ch- sell cheap. They didn't buy him for cheap, right? He went for twenty four million euros, didn't he? I think before De Catalare, I think it was the most expensive transfer from the Belgian. Exactly, league. right? And well, they'll point to De Catalare and be like, well, if he was thirty million euros and we bought him from the Belgian league two years ago, blah 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 blah. I, I mean, look, look at what happened in the summer. Like Man United almost bought Marco Nautovic, right? And he's had a great season this season in Serie A. But that's the kind of level of player that, like. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's a there's a better player that that Milan could go out and get that that type of caliber that could like push them and get them more goals. Because I, I do think it's about firepower now. Like, you know, Napoli have scored 37 goals this season in, in 15 games. Um, I and that's with Osman having been injured for a few games. They've still got a bunch of bench firepower as well with their signings over the summer so I think they're going to score a lot of games and win a lot of games scoring a lot of games and win a lot of games like 3-1, 4-2, 5-3 etc etc they're going to blow teams out of the water I think that's the area where Milan need to strengthen the goal scoring side of things and they would have hoped that Takeda Talara would have have done the business by now but I, I don't quite think it's worked out for him so far I think the the issue that you know, and we just we're, we're we're all highlighting it right here, right? I think everyone realizes that Milan are you know, despite everything Olivier Giroud has done, despite Ibrahimovic coming back and what he's still capable of doing, even though he's not going to be there, the, the consistent starting striker, right? Because you have to do load management for him, Divock Origi. The, 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 there, there's really an issue in this position because 
you know, you, you people say they need to go out there and get a striker. And every time people say that to me on Twitter, I always reply with, all right, give me a name that's realistic. Because there's <laughs> such a, the market for this position is, it's, 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 it's so high. It's ballooned. You can't tell me that people say, oh, oh they, why can't they go out and get someone like, you know, uh, uh, Dusan Vlahovic. This was even the, the year before he got transferred. For, he was going for 50 to 60, Fiorentina wanted. There's no way Milan are spending 50 to 60 million when they had to squeeze Club Bruges down and try and get that figure down for the Catalare. It's just not happening. So I think for people to expect all of a sudden for Milan to be like, yep, we're going to spend 45 to 50 million on Jonathan David and it's going to happen and we're going to get our guy. It's a league problem. It's not just a Milan problem. Because I, I think truly believe that if there was no restrictions and no limitations that maybe Milan would go out there and get the, 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 the guy they need. But I think there's a way, there's a reason why they're, they're approaching this position in the way they have, right? Marko Lasetic, they spent $5 million on him. He's a Serbian um, teenager. He's had some really bright spots in the academy. He's had, you know, these this the, the, this sort of upside and this this potential that maybe Milan or see that he could be the guy next up. But I think they're they're going, they're cutting corners. That's what they're trying to do. And mm-hmm. when, when, you, when you talk about the landscape of, of the, all the clubs in January, whether or not they're going to spend, you might see dribs and drabs. Teams that typically do spend in January when might be a team like Fiorentina or Atalanta that might try and like cement themselves in that Europa League conversation where Atalanta might try and see if they can make a push towards the Champions League. Lazio, but you really never see these sort of marquee signings. I know Vlahovic excluded that occur in January. And I think there's what's going to happen here is off the back of the World Cup, you're going to see premium slapped on any player that has a pretty good World Cup and it's going to mm-hmm. be priced out for Serie A teams. That's that's truly how I feel about it. So I'm not saying that Milan can't get better in January or Juventus or Inter um, or even Napoli, dare I say. I mean, maybe they could add more pieces. Maybe in defense, they need someone. But I think ultimately, the team that's most equipped to be in this for the long haul is, without question, Napoli. They have more depth this year than they do last year. They have a guy like Giovanni Simeone scoring Champions League goals when last year the backup striker was Andrea Patania. Like it's a, there's levels to it. You can quite clearly see this Napoli team has built something very good here. Now we have to obviously wait and see how the rest of the season takes that takes shape. But you know that's kind of where I'm feeling about the the rest of the way for this this uh, title race. Do you guys uh, think as Milan fans, you do you think the management maybe regret getting the Catalara rather than going for a striker and not getting Origi on the free? Like, I mean, I look at Napoli's business with Raspadori and, and Simeone, and I feel that they went and got players that knew the league and knew how to score in the league. And the two options that Milan went for are maybe more punty. I, I think I think they needed a number ten. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Obviously, like at the time, it was a bit more. Yeah, like, of course, of course. And also, I don't think, and and we have to remember, yeah, they did. Napoli did add around that, but we have to look at every single team that's a top team in Serie A and what they spent or what they got their best striker for. When Inter had Lukaku, they broke the bank for him. When Napoli needed Victor Osimhen, they broke the bank for him. When Juve needed a striker, they broke the bank for Dusan Vlahovic. Thirty-five million wasn't breaking the bank to go get a striker for you. And we even said, like, we don't even think forty million is going to be an option for Jonathan David at this point. And if we knew the transition of ownership at this point was limiting them to just, we're cutting wages, and on top of it, we only have the prize money from the Champions League and winning the title to spend, and it really just came down to De Catalare, and there wasn't any other option, I understood where they were coming from. And Origi, yeah, he's been hurt, but when he plays full matches, he has been a little bit better. But I think 
looking at it from this silver lining is this. You got nothing from your biggest signing in the summer so far, basically. Origi has been injured most of the time. You've just been playing with Giroud the majority of the time. Your other youngsters like like Aster Franks is like, you know, it, it, with a loan option to buy, he really just finally made his first impact. And 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 you lose your right back, your first and second choice right backs. And then you're kind of just like sit there waiting where Stefano Pioli's like, we got to integrate these guys over the course of time instead mm-hmm. of just thrusting them into the lineup, which he's he's trusted guys like Rade Krunich more than giving a guy like Aster Franks a chance. And look what's happened, right? But I, But you're right, it is a hindsight thing, but Honestly, I just don't think they have the spending money for this. I think if you if you told Maldini and Masara, you have this war chest of 100 million euros and you're allowed to spend what you want, they would have gone for a striker. But they just don't have that. And and I don't th- and I don't see them doing that. Their, their budget too. Their budget too is 45 to 50 million and that was ex- that was including whether we agree or disagree on whether or not they should have picked up the options for Florenzi and Macias. That's including yeah. that. So they allocated a good majority of their actual transfer budget Towards the Kitalar because they felt in their in their heart that that number 10, 10 position was absolutely vital to getting the most out of a guy like Giroud. Um, you're giving him a little bit more of an extension on his career, so he doesn't have to run as much. You have a more creative presence, chance creation increases. So I think they kind of thought about it in that sense. But I think it just goes to show you that like Milan's Milan's record transfer of Rui Costa, I think that's still technically the record transfer, was back in what two thousand and one. Yes. Like twenty one yeah, years, just so like crazy, isn't it? Like, has, it like is. for a team that like has always this rich history of buying top players, like Milan haven't really historically shown that they'll just go and throw sixty to seventy million at a player or fifty million at a player. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but you kind of get mm-hmm. where I'm coming with this. Like they try and cut corners, and again, I think it, it really the root problem is it's a Serie A problem because where are where are some of these other teams Who's spending? This? Like Napoli, uh, no, this is going to sound mean being bitter and everything like that. But look what Napoli did to get the Victor Osman deal done. They threw in three, four Serie cheap players that no one's ever heard of. And somehow that inflated the transfer figure for Victor Osman. No one talks about it. Look at how Juventus have been able to sell these random non-academy players for five to seven million or 10 million to Genoa, Bologna, Udinese for good sums and then go out there and spend money on actual players that they use. Like Milan, it feels like Milan are being held to a different standard and some of these other clubs like Roma are held to a different standard than some of the other teams is what I'm pretty much saying. So, you know, everyone says to spend, do this, do that. But it almost feels as though that every time Milan are in a position where we think is healthy and their financials look good, like you just never quite feel confident that the powers that be will allow Milan to freely spend the way they want to to get back to previous heights and, and that's exactly why they won't be winning the champions league anytime soon they won't unless they prove that they they can even you know match that i i don't i don't think it's going to happen this january but i again the, i think the stadium being awarded if italy get euro 2032 which we find out in 2023 i think that's a big deal and that's something to keep your eye on but again you can't even build the stadium then it's not even having a conversation like how long has rome been trying to build a stadium it's, it's not. It's not worth the comment. The, the, if the country is not changing, then neither will the clubs. Mane has just been uh, officially ruled out the World Cup, by the way, which is uh, so, uh, so the entire World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah. He's he's has to go undergo surgery, according that to uh, a joke, man. Oh my goodness, stuff. surgery! Seriously. Well, that's well, that's huge for England. We'll say that. Is it because? Well, I think I think so. Would you rather have faced Senegal with Sadio Mane in the round of sixteen, dude? Because that's what it would have been lined up for. Depends, man. We don't even know if we're going to make it out. 
Oh, come on. Stop it. It, it. This group isn't that bad. I'll say that. It really isn't. But you're so, you're so, come on, dude. You're so, you're so clear of everyone else. England's going to win the first match 2-0 and Pat's going to be tweeting, it's coming home. <laughs> Again, I said this slightly facetiously in, in our chat, but like, if England won the World Cup or came fourth in their group, I wouldn't be surprised. I think this is a, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, a yeah, crazy just, World Cup, a crazy time. Like mm-hmm. who's going to hit form at the right time? Like a lot of yeah. the, a lot of the teams are completely out of whack. Um, you've got like yeah. infighting in the Portugal camp. You've got like the France camp losing players through injury and some players not being fit. Same with, you know, Argentina, Christian Romero and Angel Di Maria. Are they going to be fit? Are they going to be fully, you know, up and ready? Like, Holland, Memphis Depay is not going to play in the first game. There's just a lot of issues and it's a weird World Cup. You know, I saw some people predicting like Switzerland might get to the final and it could happen. Who knows? It could be one of those crazy World Cups. It could be one of those tournaments where it's like a team kind of skirts on by and you're like, wow, how'd they get to the quarterfinal or semifinal? Serbia. Serbia and the Dutch. Serbia have got like huge turkey dark horses vibes like, though. Everyone's yeah, saying uh, they're going to be better. You you think, no, they're going to be better, so. but everyone is like their dark horses. Like I don't think they're better than Switzerland. I also think too, like Switzerland, Switzerland are a team that like they know their identity, they know who they are, and they they stick to that and they stick to that so well to the point where like they always find a way into like oh yeah Switzerland are in another quarterfinal. Like they just find ways to navigate through the tournament quite well. And Ped hates my bet. I I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think Serbia Power is going to maybe Jackie, you know? get out of the group, but Pets, Pets going to hate my bet then. One of the because one of the he was asking, well, one of the bets. But I, I mean, I'll, I'll look at it now and see what you could change. But I was going to have I had Netherlands as a group winner, Argentina as a group winner, and then Serbia just to qualify. I'm not saying they won't qualify. No, no, no. Of course, of course. Well, I had them as qualified. They're not going to be topping Brazil in that group. No. What what I was saying was, if you if you go in to do something like that, I mean, we could we could easily change this up. So I'm going to do this right. <laughs> So Netherlands odds have dropped. That's crazy. That doesn't make sense if he's out for the tournament. So this is why America's easy. So you go do something like that. And what you guys love Switzerland to advance over Serbia, right? So we do that. You could place a hundred dollars to win $283 oh, if okay. you parlay them. So Netherlands, Argentina winning their group and then Switzerland just to qualify to the round of 16 is, uh, plus 230. Interesting. Uh, 83. Interesting. <laughs> so, Let's see. Because only because you asked. Let's see. You never know. I want to wrap up with La Liga really quick because I don't think any of the other leagues are really worth talking about. I mean, Bundesliga is crazy, but I still believe Bayern's going to win it. La Liga. I don't like Barca. I don't trust Barca. Argentina's Nico Gonzalez has just, he's just been injured and is out of the World Cup. That Angel Correa is going to go in. That must have been an injury from yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angel Correa is going to go in. It's good. They need a, they need a, another feisty Atletico player in that, in that side because. Obviously, Rodrigo DePaul shows up, has his best game of the year, the second he leaves, uh, Diego Simeone. But yeah, sticking with that league, Barca gonna win it? I don't, I don't know. I think they could easily rack up points because a guy like Louis is just so prolific. And then maybe they don't take Europa as seriously. And we know Ancelotti's track record over the course of time domestically isn't the greatest. Yeah. What do we foresee happening? Because also, again, Benzema factor, if he goes down, what does Real Madrid really do? Well, they've coped without him okay. I, I think that Barca have done really well to get 12-1-1. Like, that's a great return from 14 games. But then again, like, Real Madrid are only two points back, and Benzema's been out for a while, right? So, and I think Rodrigo's come in and done quite well. Marcus Asensio still looks like he's got some life left in him. 
I, I think those two are definitely going to battle it out for the uh, league. I would probably have to go with Barca, considering Ancelotti's domestic record and considering Europa is going to be mm. easier. Although they do have them like United, they're probably going to take that seriously. That's probably a bigger draw than any of the any of the Champions League games, which is quite funny. <laughs> uh, funny how life comes at you fast, doesn't it, Barca? Um, Another lever. I, I I think they'll I think they'll win it this season, Barcelona. I think that Madrid core is is going to have to churn at some point over the next 12 to 24 months, right? And I think this might be the starting point. Like the Modric's, the Benzema's, the Cruz's, like Casemiro's already gone. I think if they don't win the, the, the league this season and they don't win anything this season, do they find it in them to go again the season after? Or do they maybe say that this, this might be it? I think that might factor into it, the kind of youth in Barcelona's team compared to Real Madrid. And also, I know a lot of their players aren't good, like the Bellerins, the Marcus Alonso's, but they do have a decent <laughs> amount of depth. And with those like not very good depth players, they have managed to still get 37 points. I think the, the real surprise for me has been Atletico Madrid. They've, they've drawn and lost as many games uh, as they've won this season. Yeah. And I mean, they do have the, the highest paid coach in the world. I, I feel like that feels like it's finally... I know I've said this like... I, I think I've said this on this podcast like three times before over the last like two years. This feels finally like the last cycle of Simeone at Atletico Madrid. Like, has it to be. has to be. Has it to be. has to be because they're giving up goals to, to get to Hafe with 10 men and scoring last minute equalizers type of stuff. Like, it's just... I, I really think this has to be the last cycle for Simeone. Matt, your thoughts. I know your dogs are barking. I, we made it 52 minutes through. Yeah, no, I want to pretty much echo exactly what Pat was saying. I think like, you know, it's it seems like one of those those years where, look, I think you're Carlo Ancelotti um, and, and his Real Madrid. I think they're, you know, you kind of know what you want to prioritize. And I'm not saying that, you know, they're, they, they, they lack the ambition or the desire to win the league because it's never the case. Like you're obviously a big club, but, rich tradition, like you always want to win and you never want to concede that to Barcelona. But I think it's pretty obvious that Barcelona, the way I've seen their results in, I've seen like Lewandowski score like ridiculous goals and I'm not, I love him, but I've seen him score rid- ridiculous goals in La Liga and I don't almost don't care. I almost don't really look at it and put too much stock into it because I'm like, yeah, he's, he's going to tear these guys apart. Like this is what happens. Like he's a great striker domestically. He does well. Yeah. He has a pretty good Champions League record as well. But it, it seems like it's shaping up to be one of those years where Barcelona win by a couple points. You know, Real Madrid make it interesting, obviously, when you have the head-to-head games. Those things obviously can really swing the momentum one way or the other. And I think that, you know, maybe Barcelona is going to look to see if they can get the Europa League, the league, the, the, the La Liga title. And then I think Real Madrid is going to probably put all eggs in one basket to get the Champions League. That's just kind of how I see this, this taking out or uh, taking shape. I'm I'm not big on Barca. I think I think they've just abused the system and they don't even deserve to no be way. playing. I thought, any- no, I no, 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 you no, no, like- I thought you loved them, Martina. Uh, no, 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 because I, I I think I think it's really rich in how that whole club and fan base operates and thinks they're okay with everything like this. But the second a Super League was brought up, then all of a sudden the question of morals and ethics, financially in football, was it was a big deal. But but when it benefits them, it's 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 totally it's totally okay. I find it embarrassing. I think Xavi did a completely subpar job. I, I don't even understand. And, and then again, Laporta is going to La Liga asking for them to be lenient so they could go and spend even more money in January because that's obviously what's going to fix their problems because they haven't been allowed to spend any money the past January or the past summer to try and fix some of the holes that they created over the past decade. But I digress, right? 
But with that said, they still have plenty of talent to win it. I think they've done a very good job with guys like Pedri. I, I kind of worry about him being run into the ground because I think he plays way too much football in general. I, I think it's pretty dangerous for, for around a kid his age. Ansu Fati has done a pretty good job coming back from that injury. I think they added too much depth with guys like Rafinha and because they have Dembele uh, active like this now and there's talks of his contract extension. They did have some center back injuries, but overall, Xavi long term, I think he needs to win this league in order to kind of solidify himself in that job. Because if it, if it's getting relegated to Europa League, if it's not winning Europa League, if it's not winning La Liga, if it's not winning Copa del Rey, then what more does Xavi need in order to do this? Seriously. Because I, I, I think he's had more than enough resources in order to at least advance out of the group or, or win the Europa League or just even win the, the league title at this point. Uh, I'm sorry. I just, I think the writing's on the wall for them to, to win it this season. And if they don't, I think they have to strongly reevaluate Xavi's position because it doesn't matter if he's a club legend like he is. They need to, they need to put their best foot forward. Again, I don't know what replacement they would be looking for, but is there anything that we've missed that we'd, uh, discuss with this? Is Jao Felix playing La Liga next season? For who? Oh yeah. That's my card. <laughs> is he playing in La Liga? Is he still at Atletico or does Bayern? Go and scoop him in, but potentially feel just like, like a, a name Bayern to throw out there. But neither did Delict, so like maybe I don't know. He has like but a who else afford? He has like a bad Joe. Man United transfer written all over him. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. I don't think there was a worse club he could have <laughs> gone to in La Liga. In La Liga, but also I don't you think never so. know, right? Like if we if we're right in thinking this is Simeone's last year, if someone else comes in and builds the sides around side around them, yeah, could he go there? Could Barcelona go and get him? With what money? Oh, they'll find something. Well, they'll find a, they'll, they'll find a way, Matt. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyways, I have to redo my whole World Cup selection because there's no Sadio Mane now. <laughs> so, because I'm just I'm getting a ton of shit for this. It's like, wow, great, great job. This is the worst uh, bracket I've ever seen. It's like <laughs> it's not even done. How could you even? How could you even like say, whatever? Fuck Twitter. Uh, <laughs> any anything else? I I think this is pretty much pretty much it then. Um, yeah. For this, we're gearing up for this World Cup now. I guess we could just say, Matt, who do you have winning the World Cup? I have, I'm going to go Argentina. Kind of chalky for some people. At least some people might think it's chalky, but I think I'm actually going to do Argentina. I think their, their team is much more equipped this time around than it is at the previous World Cup. Um, with it being essentially the last dance for Messi and Ronaldo, it would be interesting to see one of them win a World Cup because that's the missing trophy for both of them. Sure. And I'm, I'm a Messi guy, so I, I would like to see Messi do it. Um, obviously, I would love to see Poland or USA do it. I just don't see it happening. So I'm going to go Argentina. I celebrate a uh, round of 16 knockout for USA. Uh, Pet, uh, are you going with Brazil? I've got Brazil. I yeah. Picking Brazil. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. It's a, they're they're the favorite across the board on all the books. I, I understand why people are off on France a little bit. I think France does have the best path out of the top three teams that could win this, but I kind of worry about them a little bit. It's a whole new midfield. As opposed to last year, Giroud's apparently gone down in, with injury as well. So, of course, because why? Why the fuck else would he? Right? Um, sorry, because uh, <laughs> he see Tonali yesterday, but he's okay. oh yeah, that was nasty. That, that was yeah. Shout out Harry Kane. <laughs> I do, I do have Argentina winning this. I've been on them for a while now. It's kind of annoying that not not to say Matt, but like the whole general public loves them. Uh, so I'm a little worried on that. But I do think a South American side hoists this trophy. Um, and if France wins it, it's because they do it off the back of Kylian Mbappe. 
and he kind of starts cementing this Pele legacy of international play because there it's two World Cups before you turn 25 is pretty fucking iconic. And doing that in, in my opinion, a much tougher international play than it was in the 60s and 70s, considering how many other countries are better at the sport, mm. it would be incredible. Uh, but yeah, I think it's one of those three. And, and Cristiano Ronaldo is going to have an amazing World Cup. I, I, I truly believe mm. that. I think if there's, if there's one player in this sports history that you don't want to piss off or doubt, it would be that man. Despite me not loving Portugal because Fernando Santos, I do think they, Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be great. They seem to have got their best squad ever and kept Santos, which is a shame. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we've said in the past, Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi have had the misfortune of having some of the dumbest federations at the, at the peak of their powers. Like just overall development, coaching appointments, it's just been bad. Yeah. But now, now they finally help him out when they're in their mid to late thirties. But what are you going to do? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. Pet, Matt, you want to plug your socials? You can find me on Twitter, Pet Barisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Yeah, you just follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio, YouTube Martino Puccio. We're trying to get the login for State of Play on uh, TikTok. So when we figure that out, then we'll, it's got it's got to be the usual. We're not going to see uh, Martino doing a gritty anytime soon on TikTok, <laughs> are we? No, 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 no. I don't I don't do any of the trends. I might use the the noise, but no, I don't I'm I'm not forced to use any trends. I will not use any trends. I'll just finish off by saying this World Cup mm-hmm. stopping me watching Arsenal every week on their way to a title. I'll never forgive FIFA. <laughs> what what would you do if Arsenal win the league this year? I mean I think it'd be the Would you get an Ars would you get an Arteta tattoo on your back? If they win the league, I'll get an Arteta tattoo. No, no, no. I actually, if you, okay, well, well no. I think, no, I think it'd be the second biggest Premier League upset since Leicester. Um, I mean, according to the bookies, oh, well, anyway. Well, yeah, well, like it's well, well, well. That's what it is, though, because also, like we talked about it. How much shit did I get just for saying they'd finish in third? Yeah, <laughs> it was like I, I said they were finishing third, and, and all the internet was like attacking me. Yeah, of course, of course. It, but, but again, because that's why people base opinions off of narratives and not actually watching or understanding what's happening. But that's why you listen to the State of Play podcast uh, and you can listen to Somewhat Kingdom.